0: listening to another Comics First podcast just a reminder you can find us on the web at comicsfirst.com on facebook.com slash comicsfirst on twitter at comicsfirst on tumblr at comicsfirst.tumblr.com and on youtube at youtube.com slash comicsfirsttv where every week we are bringing you the latest in video reviews so please check those out we've got Steve here who does a great job at doing those and um, it's been a while but you'll return (laughs) soon hopefully we have some great ones that you've already done so go back and check those out Um, your amazing spider-man um not your amazing spider-man your amazing x-men um review from the first time we ever did reviews is doing really really well on youtube so
1: oh i didn't know that all right (laughs) right, pretty cool
0: so welcome steve oh thank you happy to be back and welcome marlene
2: hey from
0: i like comics too
2: (laughs) i'm glad to be here
0: and from comics.tumblr.com yeah and where else are you from you're from a lot of places and from a marvel the marvel editorial office
2: right I used to work at the web editorial office, web, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I interned there, it was
0: fun. Right, so that's, so that's pretty cool. And so today we're going to be talking about, and this is a debatable title, but Strong Female Characters, because Steve <laughs> doesn't like that title, and it's, it's not in the greatest taste, but we're trying. Um, so last week we talked about Rogue, today we're going to be talking about Ms. Marvel, and Steve, would you like to give us a little bit of a background on Ms. Marvel?
1: Uh, sure. Oh, yeah. I'm a resident summarizer, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So, Miss um, Marvel is a series that started last year. It's actually just about hit its, uh, its year-long mark by G. Willow Wilson and Adrian Alphona. Um, it is an absolutely brilliant series. Actually, speaking of video reviews, I've done a video review on this before, which is great for context. you done two. Uh, I've done two. Oh, and okay. I get
0: to watch them before we started. Oh, <laughs> oh sh- crap. That's okay. Yeah, that's
1: okay. Um, trust me, I'll probably be repeating a lot of things from the verbatim. So, hey, go watch those and you probably won't be bored, um, but... No. You can find Just the links
0: a- on, on 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 the page for this podcast. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, so a little bit of background about Miss um, Marvel she is a, um, a Muslim American teenager 16 years old living in Jersey City um, completely reframing the Miss Marvel title as we know Carol Danvers has now passed into Captain Marvel and garnered a, a, a massive new following in a wonderful way and um, now this the name has been taken up actually in very dramatic fashion in a way that I hope we discuss as we continue um, mm-hmm. by Kamala Khan or Kamala Khan who um, now uses it to defend and her hometown of Jersey City.
0: Very cool. So um, without further ado, let's get into some of these questions. And Tom had a question for us, who will be joining us in a little bit. Um, But he said, Marvel has called Miss Marvel the breakout star of Marvel Now. So I was wondering if you guys agreed with that.
2: That sounds pretty accurate to me. She's Definitely huge in terms of fan base. There's tons of fan art and all sorts of stuff. People just genuinely seem to empathize with her and like her. As a character, Uh, she's very different from what we're used to seeing in the Marvel universe, um, which is really great and refreshing. And I think that's probably why she's doing so well.
1: Yeah, she's unique and um, she's definitely unique. But what I love is that also she's unique, but imminently relatable. And this is something that I've discussed as well. But if you wouldn't mind uh, me diving like headfirst right in with the first question, um, I consider her um, for all purposes, the new Peter Parker. And I, that's a term that I say with a whole lot of love, because what was definitive of the Marvel style when it first came out, if we're going to go back into comic book history, what was definitive about the Marvel style was that it was um, entirely based on, on who these characters are as people. You know, DC has their, has their gods, their super gods, as Grant Morrison's autobiography refers to them, um, although he's written for Marvel, too. But um, Marvel has the, their whole thing was being relatable and making the character struggles not end with fighting the bad guy. Um, which is what made them so popular because Spider-Man goes out and fights the bad guy and then he gets back home and he has to worry about his Aunt May and if girls like him because he's a nerd and all this other ridiculous stuff – and it kind of just made him a little whiny, but relatable for what was the perceived audience at the time, which was boys. Um, that was the perceived audience. Now we know very, very well that the audience is much, much, much bigger than just boys. Um, and so what I... 46.7% <laughs> Exactly. And people of all, um, religious beliefs, uh, races, everything, everybody, comics are great and they're universal, um... As is our motto. So, what I, I love about Kamala, and this is something I've uh, dived headfirst into before a lot of times, is that um, she. I think she fills a, a place as the new Peter Parker because what, where Peter Parker is seen as this male power fantasy of of catering to what the original audience of Marvel was was you know supposed to or perceived to be. Now we have Kamala Khan, who is like twenty times more relatable than Peter Parker. Like, well. Some people would not agree with me on this, but I think 20 times more relatable, to me at least, than Peter Parker ever was, um, to a wider audience and also in a way that doesn't compromise that original intended fan base, because if you're reading comics, you can relate to all the nerdy stuff that Kamala Khan does. Nerd is redefined to not just be, oh, that person who sits in class like Peter Parker and is good at science and girls don't like him. You know, now it means, you know, writing fan fiction like Kamala does or, you know, all of the all of the fun goofy gamer references and things like that that come out of this character is all stuff that becomes extremely relatable outside of the bounds of just being the perceived, you know, white male audience of comics. Um, And I love that Kamala grabs the attention of everyone and does it in a way that's more relatable than almost every other character I've ever read about in a comic book or at least superhero comic books. And um, and does it in a way that's also highly entertaining um, and well-written and well-drawn and a whole ton of things I can gush over endlessly, but I don't want to, you know, make this the Steve podcast. This is the First podcast, so...
2: No, I agree completely. And I actually did a review on the first issue of Miss Marvel also, and one of the things that I pointed out was that it is really relatable in the sense that she does write fan fiction and all this stuff that I, as a 16-year-old teenage girl, <laughs> totally did.
1: I did the same thing when I was a yeah, 16-year-old girl, I don't mean, worry. I
2: know people my age who still do it, so... It's <laughs> it is very relatable. Yeah. And also just as someone who comes from like a quote unquote Brown family who, uh, which has a little bit of a different dynamic than like the traditional, I guess, American family. Um, although traditional American family is kind of hard to define. (laughs) Um, but seeing this girl that has like Brown parents who have that, um, kind of, they feel the urge to protect their daughter, not as and more so than they protect their son and kind of shelter her. And I felt a little bit of that growing up as in a Dominican household, um, you know, we're told a little bit we're a little bit more vulnerable we can't you know go out at light at night and uh kamala has to kind of like sneak out and do her own thing and she's so scared of the repercussions and you know she gets told on and then um she has to go talk with like uh the person at the mosque mosque thank you you're welcome um, so I definitely feel that sense of uh, what she was going through. I can definitely relate to all that stuff. And just like the fangirling she does, like when she meets Wolverine, <laughs> yeah. she's like, holy cow, it's Wolverine. I'm battling like uh, crocodiles with Wolverine. And it's like, I would totally react that way in right. my Let's be realistic. in real life. Who, who is
1: a comic book fan that wouldn't, re- even if you got superpowers, who wouldn't be like, all right, this is awesome. I now I can t- be the person that wears a costume and runs around. Out. And then I meet Wolverine. And I'm just like, oh my God, you're Wolverine.
2: And I feel like we don't see that. Much in comics, not at all. Yeah, everyone's an instant hero. Yeah, they're so used to working with each other and being on the Avengers that they're kind of jaded to all this stuff. So it's kind of cool seeing that fresh perspective.
0: What I thought was cool about it was it was about Kamala being herself. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. And it really brought me back to um, graphic novels like American Born Chinese, which was sort of a non-superhero version of this, Mm -hmm. I kind of thought. Um, So it was cool to see that be what the story is kind of all about. But it's interesting because the first second that we open the first page of this comic, we are bombarded with uh, a conflict of culture and... I was just curious if you guys saw a lot of foreshadowing in that moment with the bacon in the beginning because I was like, this is kind of partially what this book is all all about—a
1: a sort of um, putting together or, or trying to reconcile, you know, her life at home and in her very stringent uh, traditional life at home and um, the outside world. And when she's given, or when she, you know, freak accident gives her superpowers, how does she take, you know, what she has in her traditional home life and apply that? to you know what's going on in the rest of the world how does she reconcile those two things i could definitely see um that sort of dialectic occur um yeah how she she kind of goes out and it's still so important to her, her family, and the lessons in her family. You know, she's constantly worried about, oh, am I going to make it home in time? Am I going to upset my parents or scare my parents? And she actually has regard for them. It's not just, oh, my dumb parents stopping me from saving the world. Like, there's a real... It, it's so much more realistic. Like, I care about these people, and I don't want to let them down. And I need to somehow reconcile both of these lives. It it takes secret identity back to a way that it hadn't been done for... Well, I mean, it, it's been done pretty well, but that's a, a very good example of how secret identity can work, where it's not just oh, I hate one life and I love the other. They're both super important and they both influence each other and they both provide obstacles to each other. It's, it's um, sort of well-rounded in that regard, I think. I absolutely agree. And it's funny. I had your voice in my head when I was reading the first issue, like all
0: these good things that you were saying about and how groundbreaking it was. <laughs> and I was like, Steve is totally right, you know?
1: I love um, to hear that. <laughs>
0: especially because you and I have different tastes when it comes to comics. Oh, you sure, know? very much. Uh, we were just talking about this really dark issue of Rogue last week um, <laughs> that I really enjoyed. Um, or this dark issue of Uncanny X-Men with Rogue in it that I really enjoyed. So, uh, you know... It, But I agree with everything you said about Ms. Marvel. I thought it was groundbreaking. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was, um, I don't know, amazing and very relatable. And I, couldn't agree more about what you say about her being the new Peter Parker
1: yeah it hits a lot of that universality aspect that you know oh, what would you do if you got superpowers but instead of it just being what would our intended audi- or our presumed audience do if they got superpowers what would literally anyone who likes comics do with superpowers
2: but at the same time the thing that I really like about her is that she has her own set of really different issues yes. um, that she needs to address like in terms of her culture just the fact that she questions things and uh, which is something that every teenager does in any culture so when they're at the mosque and they have to sit separately from the men and she kind of expresses a little bit of doubt and it's like, yeah, I guess if you were a teenager and you were raised in a particular culture, you'd probably question things at some point. Uh, It's not necessarily a bad thing. The culture is not bad in any respect, but it's just, you know, you ask questions um, and the thing with the bacon in the beginning, too. So it's cool that she kind of has that inquisitive nature, which is so very teenager and uh, that her own set of issues that's very different from, say, Peter Parker.
1: Right. It doesn't sacrifice uniqueness for um, the for the relatability. It's exactly as you said. It's what would any person do? in that situation where the relatability comes in but the fact that she has such unique struggles that you know we don't really see very often a you know, teenage girl solo superhero if at all it's part of a team with like four dudes and then her or you know we don't see a Muslim superhero we don't see I mean I'm a little less excited about this one we don't see you know New Jersey in superheroes um, it, it's there's so much that's unique about her in the context of the Marvel Universe um, but given that those unique things are not alienating they're used to show relatability which is a master stroke of, of G. Willow Wilson's um, she's fantastic. What about that scene in the mosque
0: were you guys as surprised by the- that as I was. Um, I expected her to be uh, bludgeoned in that scene. Um,
1: oh, where and, she was, like, questioning her, um, her, you know, the, the advisor that was, was telling yeah, well, her all well, this stuff. Well,
0: the parents just kept saying, we're going to take you to the mosque, we're going to take you to the mosque, and I expected her to get a, a religious grilling there. Instead, you know, the guy tells her, keep doing what you're doing, and just do it with grace and strength and honor and beauty, right. and that was amazing, I thought.
1: That brings me to a really interesting point, actually, um, which is something I wanted to bring up of the um, the meshing of superheroism and religion. And I don't want to say this in in like a, you know, oh man, all of these superheroes with this religious tradition, because, you know, like there's a lot of like Jewish tradition in some of these characters, a lot of Christian tradition, but that's not really the point. Um, what I love about this is that, you know, I've always held superheroes to be something along the lines of, you know, our shared stories. You now, if you've ever, uh, our shared myths. So if you ever look at um, certain realms of philosophy, like, um, you know, comparative mythology by Joseph, Joseph Campbell stuff, um, where it says, right, where, where you take looks at things um, like, oh, you know, all of our old stories, you know, stories about ancient Greek gods being similar to stories about Jesus being similar to stories from like Hindu tradition, just we share a lot of the same ideas in our stories. And it points to sort of a a comparative morality just in the human nature um, that a lot of these things touch on. And I have said before, and I'll say again, I I think that superheroes are our modern myths. And I think that they relate in a lot of ways to... Um, stories and characters and tropes from religious texts. Now um, this is something that I thought was very interesting and and just so nailed so well in that first issue and beyond is the the breakdown between, um, Kamala's religion and superheroes. Because when you, you know, when she first gets hit with the Terrigan, uh, bomb and she's, you know, in the purple cloud smoke and she's kind of tripping out a little bit and getting her powers, she has a vision and the vision is not just, Oh, look, it's Captain Marvel coming to tell me I should be a superhero and save the world. It's, Oh, look, it's Captain Marvel coming to me, sheathed in my religious tradition, breaking down my religious life myths and my, my outside life myths and putting them together and I thought it was such a great um, way to showcase superheroes as modern mythology and how Kamala in serving her own religion through what, you know, she's told in, in the mosque and, you know, just do it with grace and honor. Um, putting that together with serving in the way that a superhero fan would, I think is a beautiful um, meshing of those two identities of hers and those two spheres in which she lives. Speechless.
0: <laughs> I am because you're just so good, Steve. No, seriously, no, but you know what we really are. You just, you're some this shit up so great.
1: I really love Ms. Marvel a lot. <laughs> no, it's really great. No, I'm like,
0: I, I want to I react to you, but I'm just... I'm I'm so like moved by what you're saying. I'm not even kidding. I really am. Because it's it's really awesome and it's cool and um you're making me think a lot and you're gonna make the listeners think a lot That's so good.
1: I don't wanna I don't wanna make it a lecture. What do you guys uh let's let's go to um
0: No, because then I'm like I have more questions, but then I would rather just hear you talk about <laughs> what you think about with Marvel. Well
1: I wanna hear all of you talk. I like you guys, you're smart. Let's let's um post pizza. Yeah,
2: post
1: pizza.
0: Let me come up with some questions. Yeah, sure, the time. let's let's go
2: to let's go to something um, else. Sorry, so... I'm eating pizza, guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um uh, let's discuss her family a little bit. Oh, sounds great. And, um, you know, we can get into a little bit of religion with her brother, mm-hmm. um, who's the religious one, and, and not her father, which is interesting. It's like her brother and her mother have this connection um, that her. And, uh, you know, that's different than she has with her father. And I love that um, when the mother catches her sort of sneaking out at night, the father interrupts her. And, you know, he doesn't before he sends her to the mosque, he doesn't really um, he's not too hard on her. Mm. So I thought that was interesting. um, Turn of events.
2: Mm -hmm. I really like that that dynamic is a little different than what we're used to. Mm-hmm. I think we're used to the, the guy being like the harder one. Right, it's yeah. It's a little more difficult to uh, sway and the fact that he's like the, the calmer one that kind of tries to talk with her and but still firm enough to tell her, you know, you're still grounded pretty much forever.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: <laughs> and I also like that um, she has this great relationship with her parents and she's constantly thinking back about them mm. and about what they would think and kind of using them as a reference point point. Uh, and she also has her brother who is a lot more religious than she is, but still defends her. And like, uh, so she she kept disappearing, and she comes back, and her brother's like, "I'll talk to them. I'll 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 see what I can do. I'll fix this somehow." So there's this really great relationship that she has with her family, and I think that's really important and central to who she is totally. and how she uses what she's learned from her family um, to become this really great hero.
0: Absolutely, and it's ironic that her family is the one where um, she's learned to do what she's doing, and then they're also sort of scolding her for going out at night and although they don't know what she's doing, but they're the ones who are against her going out at night and saving all these people and they're the reason why she's doing it, so.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I I like that um, there is a strong family dynamic and again, in a way that is unique to the character but relatable generally. So she, you know, we can basically anything we bring up can fit into that mold and one of the things that's so great about this character is that um, there is this... You know, trope of the overbearing parents who are stopping you from going out and X, where X is fulfilling your destiny or, you know, fighting crime or like given anything in any kind of teen drama um, or be with this boy, like with any kind of teen drama um which is is done really well you, you sort of have overbearing parents but it's not they're not caricatures they're not just like oh we're gonna be overbearing parents because that's the characters that were written as like they show actual love and compassion for their daughter they show flexibility on the rules they're not just you know oh we're just gonna follow the rules of our religion and that's it and we're just here to be that stock static character like no it, it, it's deeper and then all of these characters actually have some movement to them instead of just being like a, a stake in the ground you
0: no. Damn, Steve! You just keep dumbfounding me.
1: <laughs> I love this book. Um,
0: um, no, it's a it's a good one to love. What do you think about how she gets her powers, though? Are you a fan of the Terrigen Mist's bomb?
1: Um, I will say that if she is not in the Inhumans mar- movie that Marvel is making in a few years, they're making the biggest possible mistake they ever could. No, I don't want her to be because I want her to be in her own movie. <laughs> I want her to be the star of the Inhumans movie. And no, no, no. For, like, hear me out. Hear me out. I'm sorry for getting conjectural here, but um, I want her to be. Because she's so relatable, I want her to be the lens through which we see all the weird human stuff. They're so weird. Right, which yeah. she has been throughout as the series continues and like Lockjaw shows she up makes and she me meets like Medusa. Yeah. Right. So what if we have a movie where the inhumans are cast and portrayed as, as strangely as they are in the books and like just so inhuman and not understandable, except we have this lens of Kamala Khan to look through and be like, Oh, you guys are weird, but I'm the same kind of as you, so let's get along and adapt like I don't know I think that's a missed opportunity to not use that that would be interesting
2: what i find really interesting is that um the way that marvel has kind of shifted from cuz we all know that the mutants are kind of a metaphor for a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff yeah. right oh, yeah. <laughs> They're always the outcasts mm. and Kamala is not a mutant. She's an inhuman. So Marvel's like doing this weird shift away, which is, you know, in part because of the whole Fox thing and they're trying to incorporate in so that they mm. can use that, um, franchise and everything. But it's just really interesting how the Inhumans are like the new mutants now, I guess, um, and I'm hoping that we see a lot more like Kamala, a lot more characters pop up because as a result of, like, the Terrigen bomb um,
0: hmm.
2: that are so There's got to
0: be more out there, right? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. We, we
2: got a little bit of it with uh, Wolverine and the X-Men, I think. Um, but I want to. I don't know. I want to see more. I feel like that's such good material to tap into.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know what? Obviously, it's for strategic re- reasons to get away from the X Men because that pro- that movie property is not owned by Marvel. But um, really, when you get down to it, I kind of like that shift in the comics because the mutants kind of need to grow up. The mutants have been around for so long. Like, they, I mean, obviously, they're not just going to solve their problems suddenly. But they've had so much time to work on what it means to be a mutant and, like, you know, how to get better integrated in society and what steps to take. This, that, and the other thing. And, and you know, like. Giant earth-shattering events will always get in the way of that, but they've been around so long that mutantkind kind of needs to, like, have a renaissance and just not have it be a problem anymore that it's like, oh, we're not human and people are scared of us. Like... I get it, and it was a great, great storyline, but it's been used for, like, 50 years. <laughs> I don't know. I emphatically disagree with you on that one.
0: I mean, because it's like, oh, my God, black people, why don't you just start fitting in and have a renaissance? You know what I'm saying? It's just not going to happen.
1: Well, obviously, <laughs> but I'm just saying, if we can shift the focus to another group of... Obviously, there's going to be a trace
0: I'm open to there being other others.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it would never end. There can never just... like It makes sense. Like You can't just right. be like, oh, there's only, like one group of people in the entire world that everyone is you know that everyone discriminates against
0: no but um you know and this isn't the conversation for another podcast but i would would argue (laughs) that mutants have had their renaissance uh, several renaissance oh to an extent yes definitely or at least tried to right right um and then the various writers kind of bring them back to there right because they got to use the story yeah which is which is sadly like what happens um but that brings us to the end of this segment So let's talk about Kamala's powers. Um, she has an interesting power sets. What did you think of um, how she uses her body and um, and all that stuff?
2: At first, I'm going to be honest, mm-hmm. I thought her powers were kind of lame. Um, I was like, so she's basically Mr. Fantastic and Mystique rolled into <laughs> mm. one, is what you're saying. And with
1: like, a healing factor thrown in for yeah, good measure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: It's like you have just rolled all these powers that we've already seen a million times together. But then I thought about it and like the implications for her powers and how she uses them are just like really cool to think about. Because just the way that she has to come to terms with the fact that she like transformed into Captain... Uh, Ms. Marvel. Captain Mar- Now Captain Marvel, <laughs> but previously Miss <laughs> right. Marvel. And that whole you know, the difference in between this lady, this lady with white skin and blonde hair, who's obviously vastly different than who she really is, and how she compares that to who she is and who she really wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that she can like transform, does she really want to transform? Um, when she can't transform, what does that mean? Because she can't hide her identity anymore, and literally had to take like a flip flop over her eyes mm-hmm. with like eye holes cut out. <laughs> so it's just really interesting um, when you really think about it. The stretching thing is just like okay, whatever, but <laughs> the, the shape shifting thing is kind of cool to me when you think about it.
1: You know what? I will agree with you a hundred percent on the shape shifting, but I will disagree with you on the stretching thing. Um, I actually, and no, this is not like <laughs> insulting in any way. Um, I think I actually really appreciate the the, the stretchy bendiness aspect. Um, um, I think it goes a lot with the character, because, okay, a, a big um, plus for, for telling the reader something about the character is making the character's powers um, based on their character, character-based powers. You know, Iceman is super cool, and Kitty Pride's a little kind of a wimp, and she, like, you know phases through things less of a wimp later but you know you get the idea um nightcrawler looks weird and he can disappear and flip around there's there's lots of stuff that's character-based powers and a lot of that renaissance was started with um was started with uncanny x-men um what i think is great what i think is fantastic about the shape-shifting as you said is is the idea of there being an identity crisis sort of behind it is um who's kamala gonna be um who does she want to be there's so many people telling her different identities that she has is she this you know Good girl, nerd, locked up in her room doing homework. Is she this savior of Jersey City? Um, is she this you know meaningless millennial, as the villains would say? Um, but I think the the bendableness sort of goes along with that um, because I think that it. And and the healing factor to an extent. I think the bendableness goes along with it because this is a character who is forced, just as you know, pretty much anyone would be forced to roll with the punches and, and sort of um, bend or fit into a world that doesn't really accept that might not accept her for who she is. And as a especially as a, as a female character. Um, You know, there's additional pressure on, oh, you know, you need to be like this and like that and like this, which is a pressure that's put also on men, but to a larger extent on women. Um, And I think the bendableness sort of fits into that as her being a flexible character and a flexible nature. And the fact that you just kind of need to be tough to put up with all that garbage and nonsense is, is sort of lends itself to the healing factor. I think. It, I think it, it, it's. I don't think it was an accident that those were the powers they chose. I think that was. It wasn't just like a coolness factor. I think everything sort of fits into this character who's trying to reconcile. 5 million different lives in a way that appeals to all kinds of fans but is also really meaningful to her as a female character. So, the Bendiness is part of her teenage identity crisis. Sure. A uh, teenage identity crisis, societal identity crisis, religious identity, tons and tons and tons of identity crises.
2: What I will say to the Bendiness's credit, um, which I've really enjoyed so far in her issues, is that it showcases how smart she is. Oh, yeah. Because Definitely. she has to come up with all of these really creative, ingenious ways of using her powers to solve problems. So for example, there was an issue when she met Wolverine and Wolverine's like, you can't carry me. I'm like a bajillion pounds. My bones are made of metal. And she's like, no, it's cool. If I, if I am big in my legs with the buoyancy of the water, it'll be fine. And then there's an issue of Shield where she shows up too, um, and they're trying to solve this problem with like all these gross, like squishy things. And she turns herself into a ball and like just wraps around all of the things and like coagulates them all into one giant squishy thing. And she's like, "Hey, look, I fixed it!" <laughs> oh wow! So it's just really cool how she comes up with all of these ways to solve problems with her power. So to that credit, yeah, I, I agree that it is really cool.
1: Yeah, I actually that's a good point too that I didn't really think of. It. it forces her to be smart, not just, and that's also a lot of you know Reed Richards' character originally with his bendiness. Was was that you know he wasn't the best in a fight but he was like i mean i don't like him he's kind of an idiot but he was you know like oh man i'm actually a super scientist like 90 percent of the fantastic Force problems were solved with super science not i'm gonna stretch and punch this thing like she actually uses it in a way that's intelligent rather than just a way that's you know bruiser or oh i can you know shoot laser beams out of my hand as great as captain marvel's sparkle fists are
0: <laughs> i love what she says to you um is it in biggin and um what's which
2: the... is a very internet thing to say oh is, is it?
1: fantastic yeah entire and all of her, her internet references are great just like oh man this is like and it was like it was almost forced but I loved it so much that I didn't feel bad about it when it was like oh this is like when you have a really good build going and the devs nerf your class and I was like I should be that. Sh- I should feel like that's pandering but I do not feel like that's pandering that is great <laughs> no it's part of her character yeah.
2: yeah she's made references to like world, the equivalent of World of Warcraft right. in her world and stuff like that which made me happy as a WoW nerd so
0: <laughs> for my favorite part was the fan fiction that she wrote about Wolverine and Storm and then how Wolverine <laughs> talked with her about it. She was like, um, Emma Frost and Cyclops go to Paris beat you out.
3: <laughs> That's hilarious. I thought it was
0: awesome. Right,
1: and it was like the, the first issue with the Avengers as My Little Pony like because that's that's the thing it's like that's basically just MLP AU like which for those at home who don't know fan fiction that would be like alternate universe where it's like let's take all these characters from one thing and put them in a different universe and this is what it would be like Um, and it's kind of like that's some arcane nerd stuff right there like you gotta know
2: yeah the cool (laughs) thing is that I just thought about this there the references and her her nerd nerdness uh, are consistent because I just remember there's a later issue where uh, she, she passes by a comic shop and the guy's like oh did you come here to pick up like the equivalent of my little pony number six or whatever right. so i just realized it's very consistent which is really cool
1: yeah there's there's likes and dislikes this character has that aren't just changing with the times of like oh what do nerds like this week <laughs> it's like nope what does kamala like she likes the avengers and apparently my little pony and world of warcraft but we can't use that name because copyright but you know <laughs> all right
0: let's move on to the next segment you guys Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the peripheral characters in the story. We've got Bruno, who is, I guess, the opposite of the unattainable male.
1: He's the, he's the convenient super scientist, best friend, As but other say, than yeah. that.
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, what did you think about him?
2: I really like him. Um, I like that... It's the opposite of Peter Parker. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, the complete opposite. And that it's obvious that he really likes her. And she's just kind of partly oblivious, partly a little too busy for him right now. Um, I also thought it was really funny. I think it was in the seventh or eighth issue that she kind of disappears Um and he's left like her parents. he's left with like the garbage, like throwing out the garbage or whatever. Oh. And he's like, "Oh, it's okay. You can just go disappear and save the world. Just leave me here, feeling <laughs> emasculated." Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah. Right. And I was just like, "That's really interesting. I don't think I've ever heard a guy say that before in comics." <laughs>
0: <laughs> she teleported with lockjaw. Yeah, right? she yeah. teleported yeah. with lockjaw. Oh, I love lockjaw. So it's
2: really funny that she is the superhero and yeah. he is the best friend who crushes on her.
0: Right. I love the um, the scene where she's like, "Great, then you would just be Pakistani, and then we could get married, and then my parents would love you." And he's like, "What's so wrong with that?" <laughs> you know, he loves her, like, and I think it's cool. You know? Yeah, it's adorable. So I like. I think they're a good couple.
1: Yeah, and I the, hope the, he doesn't die one day. I don't think he will. I, I like that they do sort of a, and if he did, it wouldn't be until she realized it. So yeah. like, I think we're safe don't for do now. That.
2: <laughs> <laughs> don't do that to me please okay sorry
1: wait g Willa wilson if you're listening please do not do that
2: <laughs> thank you yeah,
0: please do not kill bruno yeah. <laughs> and don't do one of those batwoman things like where they almost get married and then like, uh, you know, well that inside. wasn't
1: the creative team's fault yeah no that's, that's looking that's, at you yeah. editorial <laughs> <laughs> this is true um should we also talk about oh her first main villain or yeah. do you want to get to anything else before that? No, let's that? get to that. Okay, to yeah, no. The for, I mean, the, the inventor was her first main villain um, who is a uh, cockatiel but not a chicken and also mad if you call him a bird. So um, you know, I don't know what a cockatiel is.
2: It's like a little parrot.
1: Yeah, people take him as pets parrot? a lot.
2: But it's not actually a parrot.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. It's cockatiel. Yeah. yeah. It's, wow.
2: like, it's it's a Does small, sound... gray, cockatooish looking bird. Okay, uh,
0: yeah. uh, explain to me this whole Thomas Edison connection with the... Oh, uh,
1: Mr. Edison was the, like, sort of Crazy person who genetically engineered him, who's like that creepy dude that yeah. like teleports away at the end, who's like, Oh, that was the real bad guy the whole time. Yeah, but he, he w-
2: accidentally mixed his pet cockatiel's DNA yeah, in when he did the thing. <laughs> That's what I, okay, yeah. <laughs> so now he's a cockatiel. Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, it happens. So
2: <laughs> even the best scientists make mistakes,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, one minute you're um Edison, next minute you're a cockatiel. Yep, so <laughs> it can happen.
1: <laughs> and, and like, of all the people to revive, Thomas Edison. Like, Thomas Edison was a jerk. We all know it from history now. Um, Tesla was the actual, like, inventor of the time. And then it was like, oh, I'm going to use direct current instead of alternating current. Because I'm Thomas Edison, and I decided that's a better idea. Everyone's like, Thomas Edison, you're an idiot. Alternating current is so much better.
2: Well, that's why it's no surprise that he's a villain. <laughs> and a
1: cockatiel, right? Yeah, and, the, and the cockatiel. They seem temperamental. Maybe that's probably part of it. They right? are. They definitely are. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, I like his, his, sort of, his sort of MO um, that he's... Um, not really brainwashing, but more convincing um, kids of the millennial generation that, oh, you know what, all that stuff that they say about you, that you're useless and you're too tied to your phones and you'll never amount to anything, that is all your fault and there's nothing you can do about it. The world is doomed and we need to do something big and showy to make it better. And I love that it's realistic that a lot of these um, these people who are getting wrapped up in this actually accept and say, you know what, yeah, there are problems and you know our generation is not doing anything to fix them. Let's help. But... At the end of the day, the speech that Kamala gives really is great, that it's like, look, these weren't problems we caused, and just like putting yourself in a human battery to power things is not the way to fix it. Be innovative, be yourself, and get really, really good at being yourself and do all of the amazing things that you can if you try really hard. Which is the awesome thing about Ms. Marvel. Yeah, exactly.
2: I I like that writers are now kind of catering to that idea. Uh, There's a very similar kind of thread in uh, Clarion the Witch Boy over on uh, DC Comics. His whole thing was uh, one of the, I guess... Antihero slash villains, uh, was somebody who was kind of lured in very similarly, except it was kind of the opposite. It was like, oh, there's all this power just uh, available at your fingertips, uh, all this power that I can give you because of technology, because of how far we've advanced and blah, blah, blah. But then you see the downside of that and you see how it turns him into something really evil and um, Mm -hmm. dependent on this technology that we have now. So it's kind of interesting that writers are kind of catering to this obsession with technology that, um, which is not necessarily a bad obsession. I mean, (laughs) right. Um, But this obsession that we have with technology now in this current generation.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think it's you know, it's a lot of it is based on generational bias where it's you know, shown to be kind of just like, oh, hey since this phone is not something I had when I was growing up, you're not growing up the same as I did and therefore you're growing up wrong. Um, So there's a fallacy that comes into being of just, oh you know, you're glued to your phones and you're lazy and not going to make a difference. And really at the end of the day like we're dealing with massive problems caused by other generations and these are just better tools to help fix it. And Captain Marvel does a great job of saying that. Just like, don't be apologetic for when you were born or who you were born as or whatever. Instead of don't be apologetic about stuff you can't change, just make it better. And be yourself as best you can be and make it better. I think that's a, a good takeaway lesson from how that story sort of panned out.
0: We didn't really get into this too much, but we talked about a little bit, which was like her team up with Wolverine. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, let's go to that, ex- that secondary character as well. I but like yeah, but
0: well, what did you guys think about... I mean, Wolverine has so many famous team ups with all these teens, um, starting with Rogue, um, <laughs> Jubilee. Um, he
2: led a school for a while. He did. <laughs> I will never.
0: It was all teens.
2: I don't know how that happened.
0: I don't know how that happened either. I, 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 I don't. Don't get me started on that because that that really upset Gonna me. to hang out um, with these teens, though. It was oh, so I good. I it was fantastic. Saying, I, I, love I, it. I, I couldn't. I, I, just, I, I wanted feral Wolverine back. I yeah. Mean, I Tom, you know, the, Wolverine I know was like eating his own shit. You know what I'm saying? Not now he's like <laughs> now he's like teaching students and stuff like that. I don't right. get it. You know and being nice to teenagers? I, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't what? Get it. But I do like how he always has like his um, teenage team up person. Like he had his Sako, Armor, and Astonishing right. X Men. Um, we just talked about Rogue, Jubilee, who else? Did Kitty he have? Pride,
1: even to oh, a certain extent. Kitty Pride extent. was his yeah. original.
0: Was the, was the, she was the original, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, she was definitely because in the X Men. Oh, that's a mod. Forget it. Um... <laughs> Uh, Actually, Tom will be here in like two seconds. So can we pause pause this and we'll go back to Wolverine? Um, Tom, did you want to chime in about um, how Kamala stacks up to other Wolverine team team ups?
3: Okay. And welcome, because you're just joining us after (laughs) some tea. (laughs) <laughs> yes sorry to uh, sorry to be running late guys really do apologize um but um i remember a line from a recent issue of astonishing x-men which was colossus is speaking with trance i think it is and he asks her what would wolverine do and her answer is He'd team up with a teenage girl and go beat up some bad guys. I love that line. Yeah. I love it. I That's brilliant. that is the ultimate Wolverine line. That's fantastic. Whoever your character is, if you've got a teenage female character, you can guarantee she'll wind up teamed up with Wolverine. <laughs> um, so I was not particularly surprised to see Logan turn up. I did love some of the one-liners when she's teaming up with him, though. I've actually saved a few just to mention them, because they made me laugh so much. Please do. Um, let me see... Just trying to find them You know again. what I wish? Mm-hmm.
2: I wish yep. that Wolverine could be as good a dad to Dokken <laughs> as he was to all these teenage girls. Yes. I mean, hey, if he
1: had a chance to be a dad to Dokken, maybe it would have turned out better. But that—that that, we all know that didn't pan out that way. <laughs> yeah. He just doesn't seem to have a good
3: track record, does he? Yeah. <laughs> then you've got the whole Jason Aaron thing with the red right hand well it turned oh, out that tons of the people they'd sent against Wolverine were actually his kids that he'd never known about. <laughs> and you're just there like, so how many kids has he had?
1: He's lived for a pretty long time, so... Yeah, and
3: evidently been busy. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but nonetheless, there's some brilliant one-liners. I love her... I love Miss Marvel's almost adoration. There's that brilliant line, My Wolverine and Storm in Space fanfic was the third most upvoted story on Freaking Awesome last month. Oh my god, yes. And Wolverine's there, like, okay, (laughs) what am I talking about here? Right. And then he comes out with, so what was first? Cyclops and Cyclops and Frost?
1: (laughs) And he's there. that right. <laughs> right. Like like he actually knows what a fanfiction is. I would love to see you just like, wait, so they're writing like stories about me and I'm an actual person? This is not things I've done.
2: He's yeah. lived <laughs> long enough, I'm sure he knows. Oh, that he knows my True, <laughs> <laughs> <Right.
1: laughs> Um
3: I just love the humor of those conversations between Wolverine and Kamala, though. She seems to just have such a perfect interaction with him. and um, particularly after she just had that Comment of um when you need it the teacher will arrive. Right. And here's the teacher. <laughs> a headmaster no less. Which I still find incredible. But there we
1: go. Oh man, do uh, you think she's gonna like have to get revenge on whoever killed Wolverine now? <laughs> since he's her
2: master <laughs> just give it like six months he'll be back yeah, yeah.
1: it's true wow well, hey
0: okay, yeah, i went to the bathroom and we came
2: back
1: and came then the i don't know what i walked into <laughs> i don't know what's happened lots of, here, of but... great quotes about um their interaction between uh kamala and wolverine love uh, th- it tom has actually listed them out for
3: <laughs> us <laughs> <laughs> i just find that's one of the things that really strikes me about the miss marvel comic i love the humor hmm. it's absolutely soaked in one-liners that you just sit there <laughs> laughing so much um, I'll avoid listing. I've got about 50 jotted down, so I won't list them all. <laughs> but she's just so much fun in that comic. And again, the interaction with Wolverine. It was an interesting time period because it's the time he's lost his healing factor. He's dressed in this costume. Technically, he's on bad terms with the Avengers. This is the worst possible time to do a team up with Wolverine. And yet the comic pulls it off really, really well. Hmm. Love it. Well, really she, good she, team.
2: Doesn't she call him just like a short, angry man who punches things? Yes, she does. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: pretty much what he is. And he's like, now I love you. Yeah. yeah. He is the bubbist of bubs. <laughs> if we were to yeah. define bub by short, angry man that punches <laughs> things.
3: <laughs> At the same time, I did love the way he was trying to get her to value a healing factor. And you got that brilliant line in issue seven where he says, the only power worth snot is the power to get up after you fall down. hmm Love that one-liner. It showed so much of how he's missing the healing factor. So it spoke to the act that he was going through in his own, while also giving a really valuable lesson for Kamala. And I think it takes a really good writer to pull that kind of moment out. Really impressed with it. And Granted, she comes to embrace that, too. I believe Wolverine say, worth snot. but there we go.
1: Right. And it goes back to a lot of, um, you know, wh- we had said before about how Healing Factor is a great character for this power, or power for this character, because it's all about like the necessary toughness for her to be able to quickly adapt to this completely new world, um, which yes. is filled with wolverines and giant sewer gators and lots of great, witty, super heroic one liners. I mean, there were giant gators
0: and then there was the giant <laughs> gator, like, you know what I'm saying? But like, that was some gator. Yeah. Oh, yeah his head coming through and everything and it was mm. just hey I was scared of the gator like, oh, yeah. it was succeeded in scaring me a little bit so I thought that was I, it, the book is just so successful on so many
1: levels Like you know what in that regard do we want to talk about the art because we haven't really talked much about Alphona's art please let's talk about it. because it's absolutely fantastic I'd love to hear what you guys all think about it
2: see my favorite thing um, is that the art is beautiful obviously but there's these moments where they kind of simplify her character when she's having like uh, yeah. thoughts they kind of chibify her a little bit <laughs> yes. uh, am I the only one who's noticed that yes it is, no, it is, it is no, so it sound perfect yes. yeah. it is fantastic because she has like the most hilarious expressions <laughs> and that you just the way they simplify her is just like so perfect for her character
0: no it reminded me of um Scott McCloud, identification through simplification mm-hmm. anyone else read that mm-hmm. um so you know it's it's getting us to um re- relate more to the character and then relate this experience a little bit more which I thought was really really cool so
1: yeah definitely um I like that it, it it reduces to recognizable symbols in that a lot of these, especially for um, a book that caters to, you know, the internet age, a lot of the faces she makes are like, you know, dumb rage faces or things that people see all over the internet or yes. like faces that appear in memes or various things like that. Even if you don't, even if it's still drawn as this character, they're just immediately identifiable expressions um, that yes. just translate to the presumed and probably actual fan base
3: there was one moment where i'd swear she looked just like a smiley that you'd put oh, entirely. on a facebook post. <laughs> and i just sat there laughing so much because it reminded me of facebook icons that i've seen and msn icons from yeah. chats and i'm just like oh brilliant
1: <laughs> um what about in the way that um you know rage faces aside what about in the way that these uh these characters are drawn in their you know natural person states what do we think about the art in terms of conveying character um or conveying personality i think there's a lot of um in in the facial expression but also in the structure of the way these characters are built and sort of like um the the kind of uh, words are failing me the the kind of um sketchiness of everything everything looks a little kind of dirty and wonky um, it all seems, it all makes it a little more real and I feel like it gives it all a lot of character, personality for the city and the backgrounds as well as the people. I don't know, I don't know, what did you guys think about the way people are drawn? And I love the way people were drawn. I love that it was so much
0: more real. Um, I know she has, um, it, it, It's she's not drawn with a typical beauty of let's say Carol Danvers was in the original <laughs> was Marvel. Um, Hell,
1: even now, we don't even need to say original. Right? Captain Marvel's yes. gorgeous yeah. still. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's true, this is true. Sparkle fist. Um, but there's something like, so, beautifully... I, I feel like I'm going to mess up by saying this, but there's something like so beautifully ethnic about how she's drawn mm-hmm. um, that I really enjoyed, and it was so... Like I said, it's so different than typical Captain Marvel, and it's something new that we're seeing in a Marvel superhero Well, it preserves her individuality. It It does, and I think it's great. Absolutely. Not
2: going to lie. I like her nose, because it looks kind of like my nose. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I I love the nose, too. Yeah. What I really like (laughs) is that she's such a kinetic character, and they convey Mm. that really well, because I've definitely read other books where even when the characters are supposed to be moving they look like they're like just kind of like weird stills like weird frozen right
1: Right, it's so dynamic yeah
2: it's very dynamic which lends really well to her powers because it's a lot of bending and shape shifting and all that fun stuff Mm. so they conveyed that really well it's
3: interesting that from a first glance her power stretchiness and size changing it's a combination of like Mr. Fantastic and Ant-Man Giant-Man and none of them have have ever struck me as the most brilliant superpowers and yet she makes them work so well and i do think the art is a big part of that because when you look at some of those images the art marries the story so brilliantly embiggened fists of rage (laughs) and they're like that is so what a nerd would say that really is (laughs) yeah but the art Captures it so well at that second, so you can feel that she's moving, that she's jumping, that her fists are growing, mm-hmm. and it really evokes the imagery so effectively. It does. I was so glad you said that about the nose, too, because that's really what I
0: was thinking but I didn't want to say it, you know, but I like her nose I love a lot. the nose. Yeah, that was what endeared me to her artistically, like in the huh. beginning, like right away. So,
2: <laughs> I also want to give props to the colorist. I don't remember the who the colorist is amazing, yeah. on this issue, but they're doing a fantastic job,
0: absolutely, because yeah.
2: there's it's, it's bright and very Kamala, but mm. it's subdued enough, especially in the scenes where it matters, that it conveys the right emotion. So props to the colorist.
1: Right, and there's there's comparative scenes of sort of dullness on the street, yeah. but then, you know, that's, I mean, that's what it would, uh, that, that's sometimes a great mark of color, and there's a million different ways to do it, Um, but I think what functions really well for this particular book is that uh, a lot of the surroundings seem kind of drab and mundane and toned down, but then when you there's, you know, giant evil robots with electricity powers, they're bright oh, yeah. and vibrant, and like, it just makes them seem bigger and more you know
2: and kamala herself is oh entirely bright figure amongst everything (laughs) which is fantastic yeah and actually too
1: when when um she's first gets her powers um you know there's like the purple sort of really vibrant mist coupled with these superhero visions that she's having which are so vibrant and big and and like poppy colors compared to like a lot of the mundaneness around her
0: That brings us to our last segment on Kamala Khan Ms. Marvel, and we have just reminded to talk about this really amazing thing that's been happening lately, and Steve, you're going to give us some background on it. Yeah, sure. As you always do. I'll
1: I'll give the the general story. So this actually was a story that came out actually pretty recently from before when we're recording. Um there is a lot of a, a sort of a movement going on in California where there were these um, anti-Islamic uh, bus ads. There were ads, and not just buses, but mostly on buses, a lot of other places. It was a lot of anti-Islamic advertisements um, trying to sort of ramp up tension and anger and really kind of petty. Um, more than kind of. Very, very petty. Let me rephrase that. Um, so this was uh, some, some activists in California took a look at this, and what they've been doing to combat it is actually putting um, pictures and drawings and graphics of miss marvel saying you know with like word bubbles saying messages about like acceptance accepting all people and you know not prejudice and and things like that over all these ads like pasting pictures over these ads and um, just basically using this character to make an actual impact in um in real life Um, i think it's absolutely fantastic and i think it's it's great as especially an extension of the character because i think in a time of a lot of Discrimination that comes about out of fear. This character is crucial, um, not only as a work of fiction, but also being brought into reality. I feel like clapping. Not for me. Clap for Kamala,
3: please.
1: Clapping <laughs> <laughs> so for everyone.
3: It's been one of the things that irri- that's irritated me sometimes with comics, are that there's been characters like Dust in the X-Men, yes. who I felt could be really powerfully symbolic and could actually make a difference if they were presented well. And it's wonderful to see a character like this presented so well that she's being caught by society, really. And that she's standing for something. Um, the best heroes, they always stand for an idea that is bigger than they are. And by the sound of it, Kamala's tapped into an idea and become a symbol. That's wicked. She
1: does it just by existing, too. It's not even like this is a thing she's fighting for in the comics. It's not yep. a, a ham-fisted statement of just, oh, this is now the defender of against Islamophobia in the United States. No, <laughs> this is just a character who is as she is and is so representative of a lot of important things by doing that. Um, I think that's beautiful.
2: That's one of the things I really enjoy about the book is I'll be the first to admit that I'm really ignorant when it comes to uh, Islam and and Muslims and everything. So I feel like reading the book obviously isn't going to teach me everything I should know. (laughs) Uh, But the fact that I'm learning about uh, mosques, that I'm learning about how um, the cultural traditions and how um families kind of are structured and things like that is really cool and i think it's exposing a lot of readers to the religion too um in a way that's not like super in your face or forceful um like you said um but it's also i think the cool thing is like you said she's representative a lot of different things but she's also her and captain marvel have kind of done this thing to marvel comics where (laughs) all these women are all of a sudden are not they've always been there. Right. They've all that's the thing. They've always been there, but Entirely. I feel like people are just starting to notice, which is kind yes. of weird. <laughs> Absolutely. Because it's like, you know, we've always been here, I right, guess. <laughs> but uh, people <laughs> are starting to take notice and women are being more vocal. I think that's the thing. They're being more vocal because now they have like this platform and they realize that Marvel's actually listening and uh, catering to this audience. Right. And it angers a lot of people, but it's I love cool it. because, I feed off yeah, that anger.
0: I
3: love it.
1: It's coming. That's, sure. <laughs> that's that's the beautiful Thing about it is that the that the the gatekeepers and the old world order and the neck beards and the the parents basement stereotypes are losing the grip over what it means to be a comic book fan. Miss um, Marvel is one of the heralds of that. Ch- that sea change and um what i love about it is that this is a character who is extremely successful has garnered media attention outside of the small tiny sphere of comic book fans um in her own existence has made an enormous fan response and in such a positive way that you know we i mean obviously the work's not done but we we start to condemn people who are unwelcoming we're starting to condemn people who are sexist or racist or trying to keep people out of comic books, which is absurd. If you're a fan of the thing, you're not gonna. There's no reason to say, oh, see, this is my thing. I don't want more people to like this thing. That's absolutely the biggest possible mistake people can make. They do it so much, and I think that uh, Miss Marvel is part of this movement and this change to keep comics inclusive and really like tell the people who are trying really hard to make it not inclusive that they're wrong
0: and of course this would happen in comics and I'm so glad that it is happening in <laughs> comics you know because yeah. comics do have a history of um, teaching and a history of breaking down walls and they did for me when I was a little kid and I'm happy that they're doing it now in a very Same. different yeah. way um, and, and, and doing it for a new audience too which I think is really really important so Um, Tom, did you have anything you wanted to add about Ms. Marvel? Uh,
3: Two bits, really, to what you were saying there. The first is that I read an interesting figure recently that 46% of comic book readers now are female. In which case, the change is already happening. Now, that is brilliant. It's wonderful to see that barrier where comics have traditionally been seen as a male pastime actually has been broken. And that's great. The other thing, though, is that the current arc in Ms. Marvel is really interesting from a generational viewpoint. Because she's dealing with these kids who've been told, your generation is a blight on the planet. And I don't know what it's like in America. I suspect it's very similar to the UK in this one. But there's very much a sort of fear of youth Entirely. thing that goes on in our society here. Um, I actually studied it as part of my degree at one point, And you have these quotes where... Um, a group of youths got together in a park because there was no youth club or anything. And the quote from one of them was, The adults see us and they think just because there's a few of us, we're going to be trouble. And the assumption is, childhood youth equals danger. Whereas Kamala Khan, she's, she's becoming a symbol, as well as race and so on, of... There is a future generation of hope. Um, she has this whole speech where she says, They're planning to give themselves up to become human batteries, as could only happen in comics. And she says, This is not saving the world. This is admitting the world is over. This is saying our generation will never matter, but we have to matter. If we don't there is no future worth saving and i love the idea that marvel have taken a stance against this generational fear that's there and i think that taps into people reacting negatively saying this is our comics well yeah so hand it on pass the baton on make comics work not just for you but for everybody that's great but as well make society work not just for you for a few for the old style but for everybody Because, yes, there's a cost, there's a change. People have to step up. We get that. But youth is something to be celebrated. The youth are the future and the present, really. We're just blind to it because we're so locked in our own fears. Brilliantly symbolic.
1: And do you know what? I think to tie it. All, I think to tie it all together. I, I agree very much, um, and I think a good way of tying that together is uh, to sort of make self-reference to what we had talked about in earlier segment of this podcast, um, with the idea of um, superheroes being our modern myths, and how um, Kamala yes. really perceives that as a modern myth alongside her religion. Um, one of the wonderful things about Kamala breaking into making a real impact in the world and not just in in the field of comics goes to show that, you know, not only is she worshipping these characters, or not worshipping, but not only is she appreciating heroes and these fictional characters as myths, she herself is not afraid to become a myth, and she yes. herself is in real life becoming a myth of what is important to us, uh, what is important to this character, and how beautifully that's conveyed through this medium.
2: The takeaway that I've gotten from the success of, like, Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel is that... Um, the fact that Marvel is creating these books isn't taking anything away from the community. Because I feel like that's the fear that a lot of people, people yes. have. But um, Marvel isn't destroying an X-Men book <laughs> in order to have Miss Marvel... You will always have the X-Men. I can guarantee you Marvel will always have at least <laughs> like 5 X-Men books on their roster. I agree. They're not going anywhere. And even if they did, there's, there's a backlog of 9,000 issues of to go years, through. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they're not taking anything away. They're just adding to the diversity of the pool of comics that you can read and inviting new readers, which is always a good thing. Because if you want the medium to succeed, then you need new readers. So That's I feel like people need to treat it like that and see it as a plus.
3: Mm, absolutely. I think it's a comic to celebrate. I really do. When something is as successful as this is bringing new readers in, we should be celebrating it and shouting it from the rooftops because we're on a winner.
0: And celebrating something that is not only written well, but it's also received well commercially. And I don't know, it's just a great, great book. So I think that's a great place to leave it. Hmm. And um, thank you everyone so much for being here. Thank you. And um, again, you can find us on the web at comicsverse.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash comicsverse. Check out the rest of our podcast thanks so much
1: uh, so with that uh, we finish our uh, podcast about Miss Marvel and much like the character herself translating into reality I am now about to have the biggest post-fight gyro